Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, another day, <clears throat> another new revelation in the Premier's BC housing scandal. On multiple occasions yesterday during question period and then when I questioned him during Premier's estimates, this Premier fervently denied the existence of a third Ernst & Young report. His exact words were, and I quote, I'm not aware of a third report, end of quote. But then all of a sudden, 10 minutes later, a miracle. His memory was refreshed. Isn't that remarkable? Usually it takes the Premier 24 hours before he refreshes his memory, as he did when he denied knowing about the earlier very damning BDO report on BC Housing. This previously unknown third Ernst & Young report, which has never seen the light of day, remains hidden behind a web of non-disclosure agreements that this Premier while Housing Minister forced on the former board members of BC Housing. So my question to the Premier, with the total mismanagement that has happened under his watch while he was the Housing Minister responsible for BC Housing, will he release this third report immediately and finally allow British Columbians to understand, understand the whole scope and scale of this BC Housing scandal? Premier. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, when I was appointed Housing Minister, uh, it was apparent to me uh, that we needed an external team to come in and do a review of BC Housing to make sure that controls were in place. Ernst & Young was the firm that was retained after I directed the Public Service to do that. Uh, they came in, they did an extensive review at BC Housing. Uh, their report was published. During that work, uh, individuals from BC Housing came forward with very serious allegations with information to the review team about uh, uh, systematic efforts by the then CEO to avoid the conflict of interest agreement that was meant to regulate uh, his relationship with his partner, who was the CEO of Atira. They were supposed to stay clear uh, of uh, that conflict of interest, and uh, what they found was that wasn't happening. Uh, they provided information to me that was a profound concern. It was provided through the public service. Uh, it caused the former finance minister, myself, to approach the Comptroller General. Uh, specifically, Ernst & Young said that they had preliminary findings, but that they weren't done to a forensic standard, that they wanted to be able to continue the work, that they needed the scope in their instructions to be able to continue that work. The Comptroller General retained Ernst & Young to continue that work, to do it to a forensic standard so it could be released. The member is looking for the information. He has it in the report that was released for the first time in 30 years in this legislature under a public interest provision, the reason why we were able to do that, Honourable Chair, is because we followed all of the necessary steps, all of the legal advice, all of the advice of the auditors to do this properly at every step, to tell British Columbians, to tell the opposition, every member of this House, uh, so that they know what happened and what we're doing about it. Leader of the Official Opposition, Supplemental. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker, through to the Premier. Well, the problem is, Premier, nobody believes that explanation. The fact of the matter is, for over five years, you sat on top of an, uh, another BDO damning report on BC Housing, never acknowledged that existence until it was leaked. Then the Premier had, through BC Housing, issue a very misleading statement saying, oh, no, those issues were all addressed. 
Then, when I raised the issue in this House, he professed to not know about the BDO report. Then, 24 hours later, he suddenly refreshed his memory and he acknowledged that there was a report. Now we've got a third report that the Premier has had in his possession the entire time that he's refused to make public. And the question we are asking, in the midst of this BC housing scandal where the public is demanding answers, why won't this Premier release that report and give the public the opportunity to see the full scale of the disaster that you oversaw mm. while you were the Minister through, through responsible? The chair member. And so, Mr. Speaker, apart from the fact that we are seeing these terrible results and outcomes in all of the housing programs that this government has brought forward thus far, and we're seeing record homelessness in virtually every community in this province, we still have to recognize that this Premier, then Minister Responsible, his abject failure as a housing minister, while well, he sat on top of numerous scathing reports, while well, the drumbeat and the alarms were going off about all the challenges at BC Housing and Atira, how can anyone trust this Premier if he continues to refuse to release information that should be in the public realm? All comments through the chair members. Premier. Thank you, uh, Honourable Chair. Uh, you know, I think the most bizarre part of the Leader of the Opposition's theory is that I received a report from BDO about mismanagement that took place under the watch of the BC Liberals and that I hid that report. It's bizarre, Honourable Chair. It doesn't make any sense. And it is part of a pattern, though. There were a number of reports that were commissioned by the BC Liberals when they were in government that they did not release. There was a report about money laundering. There was a report, there was a report about ICBC, where pages were literally ripped out and they were not released. And there was this BDO report that nobody knew about, Honourable Chair. And, and the opposition, apparently, knew about issues with Atira, uh, to the point that they actually retained this firm to do this work, commissioned this report. I can assure you, Honourable Member. Chair, that that, that would have been helpful information. But as soon as I identified an issue, because that information was brought to me by EMY, we took action. A team was literally flown at public expense from Toronto, forensic investigators to mirror devices, to uh, secure databases, to collect the information, to do the investigation to a forensic standard so we could release it to this place. There is one point that the member and I do agree on though, and that is that we are in a housing crisis and we need to act quickly. We need to build housing for people. And we're doing that work, Honourable Chair. Thank you. And I am astonished that every time we bring forward an initiative to build more housing for people, the opposition votes against it, Honourable Chair. Members, members will member, come to order. The member says it doesn't work. We have more than 10 times housing underway than they had when they were in government. Purpose-built rental construction up 650% on our watch compared to them. Housing starts up 70% on our watch compared to theirs. Honourable Chair, just imagine where we would be if they had done that work when they were on this side of the house instead of us having to clean out their mess. Member for Kamloops, North Thompson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, BDO gave the report to the government in BC Housing in 2018 when they were in government. So, a nice try from the minister or the premier trying to say we were hiding some report. 
But, Mr. Speaker, the reason these answers don't stack up and the people don't believe the Premier is because daily there's a new wrinkle to what's going on with his BC housing scandal. We now know that Atira-based uh, housing makes up a quarter of all issues listed in the City of Vancouver's Building Safety Database of Infractions. And over the last year, there were 75 fires in the last year alone, Mr. Speaker, at Atira Properties, displacing over 360 people. In fact, the devastating fire at the Winters Hotel, while this Premier was the Housing Minister, resulted in two fatalities when the Atira managed building burned to the ground without working sprinklers and proper fire extinguishers. Mr. Speaker, despite all the warning signs and all the reports detailing financial mismanagement of taxpayer dollars and the lack of proper maintenance of critical fire safety equipment, why has there been zero consequences and zero accountability for this Premier and his BC housing scandal? Exactly. Minister of Housing. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker, and, uh, and I think uh, everyone in this House uh, understands that uh, whenever uh, someone loses their life in any incident, it, it, it hits us close to home. Uh, certainly the two people who passed away at the Winters Hotel uh, is devastating. It's devastating for the community. It's devastating for all of us in this uh, chamber. Uh, the member knows that uh, right now they have a court case. Um, they're in front of the courts. Uh, with uh, legal action against uh, Atera, so I can't comment on that. I can say that risk uh, to, uh, due to fire is a major concern. It's a major concern for us. We have a lot of SROs built throughout the province that are you know, 70, 80 years old, and the, the investments that were needed to keep them up, to keep them uh, at a high standard, just weren't made decades behind when it comes to the investments that are needed, not only to maintain the existing stock, but to also build uh, additional units, Honourable Speaker. Now, the member talks about accountability. Honourable Speaker, accountability is when you see something, to take action and make sure that when the report is available to make it public. Now, the member laughs. He th maybe he thinks the leader of the opposition thinks this is funny. This is not funny. This is a very serious, serious issue, Honourable Speaker. And, 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 you know, I think it's fair for the public to say why were issues raised in 2012 and nothing was done? Why was uh, in 2015 uh, a, a note sent to the opposition when they were in government saying something is definitely not right here and despite past notifications to various parties of potential for the CEO to be in direct conflict of interest, these infractions are still occurring. Nothing was done, Honourable Speaker, and I think it's fair for the public to be frustrated. Honourable Speaker, I think it's fair for the public to be frustrated, but I can share with the members that when the Premier saw action, he saw an issue, he took action, and Honourable Speaker, we released the report, we released the report without redactions, Honourable Speaker, and it's vitally important that you can that we do that because we want the public to know that when we see recommendations that we're going to take them seriously, Honourable Speaker, because at the end of the day, our goal is to make sure that we are providing housing for the most vulnerable people and we're going to continue to do that work. Member for Kamloops North Thompson Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, this Premier's fingerprints are all over this BC housing scandal, and this is just a short recap. Suppression of the damning 2018 BDO report, the false press release from BC Housing, 
claiming the problems were fixed. The highly critical Ernst Young report released during the Canada Day long weekend. The buildings that the Premier announced now on the evidence list of the same forensic investigation. Buildings in major disrepair and now a third report that the Premier <coughs> refuses to release. And what is the Premier's response to this mounting list when he was the Minister responsible, Mr. Speaker? Let's more than triple the funding to the same agency that's in the centre of all of those. And you wonder why, Mr. Speaker? Well, maybe it's because in that same time frame, the head of Ontario was bragging, openly bragging, about how they were pressuring and manipulating the government to get whatever they wanted out of them. At the same time, this Premier was tripling their funding. So again, when will there be any accountability for this Premier's role in BC housing scandal and when will there be actual consequences? Minister of Housing. Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker. Um, again, uh, so many facts that are uh, incorrect there. Um, I don't know which one to start on, but I'll, I'll, I'll take a crack at a couple of them, Honourable Speaker. Uh, first off, uh, when the Premier saw an issue, he took action right away, Honourable Speaker. He called for uh, um, an investigation. Members. He saw information that he thought deemed an investigation, brought in an outside team, a forensic investigation was done, the report was made public. Now, the, the members talk about additional dollars going to Atera. They fail to mention in their, in their uh, remarks that, in fact, Atera's funding went up 800% when they were in government as well. 800% almost, Speaker. So it's, a, it's convenient for them to talk about the period of the pandemic. And I think it's important to note, Honourable Speaker, that during the pandemic, yes, we made historic level investments, historic level investments to support the most vulnerable people in our province. We are proud of the supports we provided to people to support them during that very, very challenging time. We know that the most vulnerable were disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. We made funding available to BC Housing. I think we can all agree that that funding is important. What happened, though, Honourable Speaker, and what the report highlights is the CEO of BC Housing, the former CEO, used those dollars and had staff direct them, direct awards. Please, please conclude. What happened, Honourable Speaker, I think what the issue at core... Honourable Speaker, at the core of the issue is, it's not that the funding increased for BC Housing to support the most vulnerable people. At the core of the issue here is that the former CEO used his means, his power within BC Housing to help direct awards to, uh, to the CEO of Atera. That, I think, is the core of the issue, Honourable Speaker, and that's why we felt the report needed to be made Thank public. You. Leader of the third party. Uh, th thank you, Honourable Speaker. I, uh, I appreciate the Minister for Housing uh, talking about supporting the most vulnerable. I think that that is the role of, of government. We're staring down a summer of more wildfires, potential extreme heat. In a couple of days, we're expecting 35-degree days in the middle of May. This government has had six years, three record-setting wildfire seasons, a devastating heat dome, and unprecedented floods to understand just how serious climate disasters are. Warning people that it's hot won't help when people have nowhere to go. It's this government's jobs to protect the lives and in particular, as the minister says, support the most vulnerable. My question, honorable speaker, is to the premier. Where can people go to get out of the heat and how does he expect the most vulnerable, including the elderly and people with disabilities, to get there? Minister of Housing. 
you so much, Honourable Speaker. Um, and I really appreciate the member's question. It is uh, certainly top of mind for us, uh, given uh, that we are seeing warmer temperatures. Uh, I can share with the member that uh, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I met with uh, doctors uh, from across the province uh, talking about how we can collectively uh, help the most vulnerable people and make sure we have policies in place, not only in the short term, but also long term policies to support people through what will be, I uh, suspect, warmer temperatures as we move forward. I can share with the member that uh, part of the conversations we talked about enhanced education and supports for operators to check on most helpful, uh, help uh, for vulnerable residents. Uh, we uh, have a, a plan right now around distribution of cooling supplies like fans and ACs. Um, we have uh, specific cooling rooms uh, in, at sites uh, within buildings. Uh, and work is being done right now adding window films and external shading and retrofitting from some sites that, with heat pumps, Honourable Speaker. Uh, but we also, I think, talked about what we should be doing over the long term. And I can share with the member that we talked about updates to BC Housing's design guidelines, construction standards to integrate passive and active cooling measures to better uh, support ventilation and, and filtration systems. So uh, I agree with the member, a lot of work has to happen. We have been doing that work and we'll continue to do it. Leader of the Third Party Supplemental. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. I appreciate the response from the Minister. Uh, and as he knows, and we all know, this, this weekend a heat wave is coming. 619 people died in the 2021 heat dome. Last year, the Chief Coroner recommended giving air conditioners to the most vulnerable, the elderly, those with disabilities, those who can't move with ease. But this government has missed the deadline to review that request and has done very little of, that's new to save lives with the heat that we're about to receive. And I appreciate the, the, the minister's comments on what is coming, but we are three, two years since the heat dome and the recommendations that came out of that, and we've missed that deadline to review. My question, again, is to the Premier. He went on a spending spree earlier this year. Why did that not include air conditioners for those who are most at risk of heat-related death. Minister of Health. Well, uh, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. And in fact, as members of the House will know, substantial action is taken in addition to all the steps uh, referred to by the Minister of Housing with respect to emergency response. There's a very significant support for all our dispatch services of all kinds, including those passed in supplementary estimates in this House. We've added in 2021 to BC EHS 539 permanent, regular, full-time paramedic positions. Further, 222 in November of 2022. New ambulances, new air ambulances, Honourable Speaker. A new system of heat alert and response system called BC HARS was put in place in June of 2022 in advance of that, that season's uh, hot days. And in fact, there were six alerts last year, Honourable Speaker. We've, uh, we've set, put in place a uh, uh, and uh, uh, the health effects of anomalous temperatures <coughs> coordinating committee, which does this work through the BCCDC and health authorities and other leaders, including the First Nations Health Authority. We've added significant cooling capacity across our long-term care system using our own uh, supports and supports for the federal government. And we continue to work to improve things. We know, Honourable Speaker, that the effects of climate change on people's health um, at all seasons of the year, but particularly in summer, can be profound, and that's where we are taking action on every front to deal with it. 
Member for Surrey White Rock. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. <clears throat> when it comes to standing up for SFU football, this government has been MIA. The minister even stood in this house and dismissed the successful 57-year-old program as an, I quote, fledgling, end quote. This is a provincial university and it falls under the provincial government who at the very least should be standing up to support these student athletes and its alumni. When will this premier finally show some leadership and actually stand up for these student athletes and call for the reinstatement of SFU football? Minister of Post-Secondary Education. Uh, Mr. Speaker, I appreciate the member's question across the way. Uh, the members know full well that um, post-secondary institutions, as independent institutions, determine their programming um, as best they see fit with, uh, with, the, uh, with their, with their um, board uh, and their uh, administration. I will say, however, that uh, SFU has hired a special advisor that we will be working with the Football Alumni Association, with the student athletes, with the administration around steps to go forward. Um, I have been hearing from uh, student athletes as well as, as coaches and others from the um, football community. Um, and there, there is certainly frustration. This has been a team, um, and the member um, uh, acknowledged and I acknowledge this has been a team that has been around for a very, very long time. There have been certainly um, just been disappointment around this, this decision that uh, the institution has made and they are listening to the various component parts of all of this, this challenging time. And I will say that SFU has been paying particular attention to the student athletes, um, supporting them um, with their commitment to, um, for their um, um, uh, making sure that their needs are met around providing uh, um, uh, um, counseling services and other supports. Uh, but Mr. Speaker, again, SFU um, is taking leadership. They've hired a special advisor that is going to be working with all component parts of the situation in order to resolve what's going on. House Leader of the Official Opposition. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, the Thompson Region Family Obstetrics Clinic, which delivers 60% of all babies born each month in Kamloops, has announced that they're not taking any new patients after July 31st, effectively implementing a permanent closure. Now, Mr. Speaker, this is a dire situation, and you know it is, when over half of the pregnant women in Kamloops, a city of 110,000, cannot access the prenatal care and the obstetrics care that they need. And this crisis is further complicated by the fact that two in five Kamloopsians, or 50,000 people, do not have access to a family doctor. It's unacceptable that these women are told to go to the overcrowded ER for even the most basic tests. It's unacceptable that many are left to scramble trying to access prenatal care from as far away as Prince George and Abbotsford. It's unacceptable that many of these women and their partners are having to face the decision of possibly moving out of Kamloops, leaving their jobs, in order to access basic care that should be available in Kamloops. Mr. Speaker, we raised this question three months ago in this House and characteristic of this government, the response was, we're having meetings, we're in discussions. Well, since then, this crisis has gotten worse and worse, and expectant moms <coughs> are increasingly filled with stress, <coughs> fear, and anxiety. And I want to quote just one. Jenna Duclos interacts with many pregnant women in her role as the Director of Community Services at the YMCA in Kamloops. She hears every day the struggles of these expectant moms. And I quote, 
I've met multiple moms who have no care and have had to schedule TELUS Health virtual doctor's appointments to get referrals for blood tests and ultrasounds. These same women have no idea on a weekly or monthly basis how they're measuring, if a baby is growing appropriately, or if they are missing important tests. They have no one to talk to to ask these basic questions. One mom told me she's visited the emergency nine times because of worries about her baby. The inability to have proper care is causing an increase in prenatal anxiety, which will likely cause an increase in postpartum anxiety and depression." End quote. Mr. Speaker, my question is this. How many more expectant moms in Kamloops and the region have to suffer and struggle to receive the basic care that they need before <coughs> this Premier actually steps up with action to fix this prenatal care crisis in Kamloops today? Minister of Health. Well, uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And the way I think uh, you resolve issues and you work to improve services is you work with the people who deliver those services. And that's precisely what we're doing in Kamloops. The member will know that the fee-for-service model has proven itself to be ineffective. When I became Minister of Health, our system was overwhelmingly fee-for-service. He'll know that more than 3,000 doctors across BC, including 480 who didn't previously provide family practice, have joined the new payment model. Why was that successful? Because we worked with doctors. We have, Honourable Speaker, led Canada in the recruitment and the hiring of new nurses, Honourable Speaker, a contrary record to the record of the previous government. We've done that by working with nurses and nurse practitioners in the BC Nurses Union and communities, Honourable Speaker. In the case of Kamloops, we are working with doctors. You bet we are, Honourable Speaker, to find and to put in place a permanent solution that it provides maternity care in Kamloops, and we're going to continue to do this work, and I'm confident that we'll be able to resolve this issue. Member for Surrey South. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Under this Premier's so-called safe supply program, free drugs like hydromorphone are being increasingly resold on the black market under the street name Dillies. Dillies are five times more powerful than heroin and carry significant risk of addiction, sedation, respiratory depression, and overdose death. Yet this government has failed to track new onset opioid use <clears throat> disorder among youths and the general population resulting from their policy of prescribed and diverted prescription opioids. The fact is the rapid access addiction clinic at St. Paul's Hospital stopped prescribing hydromorphone last February because they see more kids getting addicted but this government hasn't told anyone about the risks and keeps recklessly plunging ahead, despite the mounting evidence and growing concern from doctors about the consequences of diversion. The premier keeps stubbornly pushing ahead, recklessly, to expand a free public supply of addictive drugs. So why is the premier careening our province down a path and flooding the market with a publicly supplied addictive drugs five times more powerful than heroin? without any guardrails. Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. Thank you uh, very much, uh, Honourable Speaker, and, and, and thank you to the member for the question. And to situate this issue in the context of the uh, unrelenting toxic drug crisis that we are dealing with, our public health officials, our frontline uh, uh, addiction specialists, uh, health authorities, have come forward with a prescribed safer supply model really in order to try and do everything that we can to separate people from the toxic drug supply. 
And that work is being uh, uh, closely monitored uh, and evaluated by clinical staff across our healthcare system, by Health Canada. And when it comes to the issue of uh, the need to save lives by separating people from the toxic drug supply by providing prescribed alternatives, I would note the support for those measures across our healthcare system, uh, across this House as well. And in fact, yesterday in the House, support for, prescribing, for prescribed alternatives was, was, was stated uh, by the Leader of the Opposition. So again, we have a situation where there, are, there is an attempt to try to, to obfuscate Member. the Member. issue here. Please, Minister will continue. And the issue here is that we are doing everything that we can, Honourable Speaker, to save lives in the context of an unre unrelenting toxic drug crisis. And we are going to continue to do that under the guidance of our public health officials, of addictions medicine specialists, of our health authorities. And it's best, really, if we all work on that problem together, frankly. Member for Prince George, Wilmount. Well, thank you very much. The Minister can continue to mischaracterize our position. Here's what it is. There were guardrails that were expected to be in place, and this government has failed abysmally to put them in place. the only place that British Columbians are feeling increasingly frustrated and in fact shocked by this Premier's stubborn refusal to do something that many families are asking him to do, and that is to ban the use of dangerous drugs like fentanyl in public places, including parks, playgrounds and beaches. Not just families, but last week, 30 <coughs> local governments from across the Lower Mainland passed a resolution calling on this Premier to take action and put in place a ban on the open use of drugs and substances like heroin, meth and fentanyl, where? In public spaces. Very soon, and the Premier knows this, school is going to be out for summer. And as he knows, children aren't going to be in school. They are going to be on their <coughs> local playgrounds using the swings, they're going to be in the water parks and they're going to be on beaches. And the last thing families want to do is have their child bring home a pack of fentanyl and drug paraphernalia, which has actually happened under this Premier's watch. So parents want to know. They want this Premier to demonstrate an ounce of leadership and he could do it today. Not wait, not talk, not dodge, not weave. It is time for him to do the right thing, and he should do that right now. Will he get up and put in place a ban on drugs like heroin, meth, and fentanyl from public spaces that include children's playgrounds, beaches, and parks? Will he do it today? Members, 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 you have already asked a question. It's not the Premier to answer, please. Premier. Thank you, uh, Honourable Chair. Um, the issue of the toxic drug supply is a major challenge uh, for uh, government, absolutely, uh, but certainly for the families 
who have lost loved ones, and a lot of those loved ones are kids. The member's right. Uh, this is killing kids. There are kids who are taking what they think is a party drug at high school, and they're dying of an overdose. This is a really serious issue, and our government is treating it seriously uh, with a commitment through everything we do to work with partners to address any unintended consequences, to do the research that's needed to make sure this policy is members, is members, in what we need. members, please. And, and I am happy to commit to the members on the other side, to all the members of this House, British Columbians, to parents of kids, uh, that our government will work with uh, local government partners to make sure that those protections are in place. Nobody wants this activity affecting uh, <clears throat> our kids, and we will do something. Honourable Chair. Members. So the members. The members, members are The part that I regret about this discussion, it's happened a few times during the session, is the members on the other side want to have it both ways. I don't know where they stand on this issue. You know, they voted at the all-party committee. There is a member of this House, Honourable Chair. Members, members, members are come to order now. Members. Take a deep breath. It's not the end of the world. Take a deep breath. Please. 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 Go, no argument with the chair. Premier will continue. Uh, Honorable Chair, when the all-party committee came together to tackle this in a serious way, in a nonpartisan way, and they all voted in favor of important and challenging measures, there was one member of this assembly, and I, I don't agree Members. with the Honorable Chair. But at least I know where the leader of the Conservative Party stands on this issue. On the other side of the House, they vote for it one day, they're opposed to it the next day. Members. In estimates, in estimates, the leader of the opposition championed prescription medication. Today, they opposed it. How many times the chair has to ask to be quiet? Members, please. It's almost over. Premier will conclude. Speaker, and thank you for your work through the session. The, the fact is, we stand for results for British Columbians, and it doesn't matter what the issue is. On health care, we have 482 more family doctors in the province than our family doctors. We have 2,800 internationally trained workers ready to go to work in BC, working with the College of Nurses. We Members. have free prescription contraception for British Columbians. Thanks for our budget. I know the members don't want to hear members, about these results. Members of the opposition, please. The public is watching you all. Okay. Tell us the. Tell us the last day of session, Honorable Chair. Premier will conclude. We froze ICBC rates for two years. We deployed a new housing action plan to build housing for British Columbians in every corner of this province. Our economy is leading Canada in economic growth, one of the lowest unemployment rates. We're setting records on trade. 20,000 new jobs this session alone. 
we are getting results for British Columbians on those issues. We'll get results for British Columbians on this issue. And we can't wait to continue the work. Thank you, Honorable Chair. The bell and the caution period. The bell and the caution period.